Amen. Why don't you guys stand me reading God's Word? Okay, this is 1 Corinthians 7, 17. And it says this, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Let's pray. This morning, Father, we come to you and we ask that you would lead us and that you would guide us, that we would live this life that you've called us to, that we would hold on to the truths that you've laid down for us, and we would walk in those. Amen. Have a seat. Now, if you've been around here any amount of time, I've been promising you we're going to start the Gospel of John next week. Now, (laughs) I know. Uh, We're going to do something different before we start the Gospel of John. Uh, Your elders, of which I am one, want you to understand the heart of what element is about. And rather, I typically give you like a three to five minute dissertation about our view and our vision of how the church is supposed to be within our city and within our culture. And this morning, I figured before we did the Gospel of John, September is starting. And when this service is low like this, it scares me half to death because I know second service is going to be like wall-to-wall people, which is wonderful. But I want to give you guys an idea of what Element is supposed to be and do within our city so you can get an idea of our vision so we can all be on the same page, especially if you're going to want to become a member someday and if you want to attend or be part of the Element family. This is what we are about. Um, at Element, we believe that Jesus Christ is our chief shepherd. First uh, Peter 5, 1 through 4 says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, that's Peter, a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In our vernacular, what this means is that Jesus Christ is the senior pastor of Element. We have elders who are under shepherds, but this is, this is Jesus' church. It is nobody else's but his. Okay? So we are all under shepherds of that. And that means that we must seek his vision for what he, want, what he wants Element to be and how he intends for us to function as a church. So what I'm going to give you today is how Element, we believe, should function where we live. Uh, Element is what we would call a missional church. We believe that uh, every believer, every person who calls himself a Christian is a missionary. Where you work, uh, you live in a culture. Where you live at home in a neighborhood, you live in a culture. Everybody is part of some type of culture somewhere. And we are missionaries to those cultures in which we live. And so we were all missionaries. It's not the people that just go overseas and, and live places and eat really bad food. Okay? It is us too, where we live. We are all mission, missionaries. A missional church sees its people that come to it as missionaries in the culture in which they live. So churches typically take on four, one of four characteristics. They take on the church's bomb shelter. Uh, the church's bomb shelter means that they look around at culture and they see it, it is dark and it's pagan and it's evil and it's dangerous. And the church is a safe place for God's people. They, they hide and, and it's very comfortable for them. These churches use a lot of vernaculars like we and them. Bomb shelters are great places to raise your families uh, away from anything that causes, anything that will keep them unsafe that you will be insulated and protected from the culture around you, but it is not a missional church. It is a church that hides. Bomb shelters tend to be musty and crowded and ugly, if you've ever seen a bomb shelter. The second thing that churches do, they typically become a church as a mirror. 
A church as a mirror just reflects culture. This tends to become very liberal in its theology. Whatever the culture believes, that's what that type of church believes. Easiest way to see this is typically on gender issues. The Bible says all sex out of uh, heterosexual marriage is a sin, period. And the church's mirror says, well, that's not what our culture says, and that's not what we like, and it's not PC, so we're going to go with what culture says. And the church's mirror just kind of runs that way. They don't mirror the scriptures, they mirror the culture, and that's a problem because that is compromise. Uh, they are more aware of culture than a bomb shelter is, but they're not trying to redeem culture. Uh, they're simply blessing the things that God does not. They're more aware of culture, but they're much less helpful. Uh, the third one is church's parasite. Uh, the church is a parasite. works like this. Uh, the church takes from their culture and from their city and from their nation. They're always grabbing people and bringing them in, and they're plugging them into a bunch of places within their church, but they're never giving back to the city or the nation in which they live. They're typically just taking and taking and taking and never giving back. And then there is the last one, which is called a city within a city. And I believe this is a missional church. And this is like a, a church is a city on a hill. A church is a community that believes the Bible and offers love and grace and truth and follows the Bible within the midst of a larger city. We are a city within a city. People in this church, in this type of city, they live a little bit differently than the people in the larger city. Not antagonistically. Okay? We're not out there just trying to pick fights. But we live in a way that invites the entire city to know what we know to know this God that we love, a better way of life. The church is primarily a missionary outpost that sees itself with a God-given mandate to start new services, to start new churches, and new outreach alternatives to lost people and culture. And so we look around and we say, well, they're lost. They need Jesus. How are we going to reach them? We find ways to reach those people. Uh, more services mean more people who can be reached. Uh, Missional Church, like I said, should start multiple services as soon as they can. I think Element, after we launched, was launched two months, and we started two services. So it's, it's a good thing. The church should actually should not be defined by the number of people we can get in one room, but by the number of people who are on mission. On mission. A church is to function as a city within a city. You following so far? Good. Oh, you guys are great. Now, Cities are marked by two things. They are marked by density, which is there's more people per square mile, and diversity. There's more types of people per square mile. Christianity, for the longest time, when people look at it, they, they say, oh, that's like an, an urban, rural, village mindset. But Christianity, since its inception, historically has been an urban-based movement in cities. You see this with Paul all throughout the New Testament. Paul goes from major city to major city to major city, almost neglecting the rural villages. That's why the New Testament books are named for cities, the book of Romans for the town of Rome. You have Ephesians you know, for, the book of, for the town of Ephesus, First and Second Corinthians for Corinth, major, major cities. And I believe that's because if you reach a city, then the message will spread out to everybody around them, and the rural areas will actually get that message as well. Cities are what are called upstream. And like, it's like a river. What happens in cities flows downstream to everything else underneath them. In cities, you get airports and politicians yeah, and, and colleges, even community colleges. Uh, typically in cities, you have things that are like the gate guarders. Like you will have uh, people that guard movies and entertainment and TV and, and music. You know, we have a couple uh, television stations in town, and they guard these things. So culture is made in a city. And it flows downstream. People downstream complain about things they don't like in culture, and they try to clean things up 
downstream. Sometimes they move farther downstream trying to clean things up in the stream. And sometimes the only way to make a difference is by having Christians in the city where culture is made. Where culture is made. That is actually the pattern of early Christianity, so much so that by AD 300, 50% of all people in major Roman cities were Christians. And 90% of the people who lived out in rural areas were pagans. 50% of people in cities were Christians. That is an amazing statistic. Actually, out on the farm, the word pagan came from the word that meant one who lives on the farm. Because they're out there. In our day, it seems that the closer to a city you get, the less Christians you get. When in this day, the closer to a city you got, the more Christians and the more churches you would actually find. This is important today because over 50% of the world's population lives in cities. By 2030, 60% of the entire world's population will live within cities. It's not that God doesn't love rural areas, but God loves people, and people are in cities, and they make culture. It's not that it's good or evil either way. It's that cities are more strategic. Even the one with the largest population in Santa Barbara County called Santa Maria. So if you're Bible, I want you to open to Jeremiah chapter 29. This is where we'll go. You guys are like, wow, that's a lot of information. I don't know what you're going to do. Jeremiah 29. We're going to look at a city called Babylon. I'm not saying Santa Maria is Babylon. We'll see if this goes. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 1. Uh, this is the ESV, by the way. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God's people, they, they lived in Jerusalem at this time, and the Babylonians attacked them. They, they, they colonized them, and the nation is now under a rule of a foreign government. Now, we all, everybody in this room, has different family backgrounds. We come from different places that were probably colonized at some point by somebody else. Our ancestors assimilate into one culture. Now we have America, the great melting pot. We have great diversity, and we have great density, just like Babylon. Uh, this was after King uh, Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the middle workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa. See, never name your kids these things because the teachers will never know how to pronounce their names. It's just awful. Uh, the son of uh, Shaphan and Jeremiah, the son of Helkiah, uh, and Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now, Babylon is founded by this guy named Nimrod. Don't name your kid that either because he'll get lot in lots of fights because everybody will make fun of him. Okay? He'll, he'll be a tough guy, just like Nimrod was in the Bible. Uh, Nimrod actually means mighty warrior. He's a wicked, wicked guy. In, Revel in the book of Revelation, Babylon is typ typified as the epitome of evil cities. And so the question is, why would God send his people to Babylon? You're like, I don't know. I believe that they were supposed to be there to be a city within a city. Matthew 5, 13 and 14, Jesus says that we are salt in the world, that, that we are a city on a hill, that we are a light in darkness. Our goal as a church is to live by the values of the kingdom of God, a city 
within a city. In God's kingdom, there is racial harmony. So in our city, there should be racial harmony. In God's city, there is love. So in our city, there should be love. In God's city, there's repentance of sin. So in our city, there should be repentance of sin. In God's city, there are people who live for God. And so in ours, there should be people who live for God. Element is to be a small city who lives in the midst of a greater city, showing people that with Jesus, there is a better way of life, a better way to live. So we are to do sex and money and marriage and friendship and parenting different than the rest of the city. Again, not in arrogance or self-righteousness, but we do it in love, saying that with Jesus, there is a better way to live this life. And we invite people to know and meet Jesus and love Jesus and have their life changed by Jesus. And so the letter that Jeremiah writes, I think, gives five ways to do this and how this works. So here we go. It said, verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is the God who rules everything, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. First thing you see is that God sent you where you are. God sent these people to Babylon where they are. He sent them there. So wherever you are, you are called to be a missionary there. If you are a Christian, you are are a missionary and the great myth is that missions is something that we do and it goes over there to spread the word to faraway places and to people who don't know jesus never heard the name of jesus that is true but a missionary is also you sent to santa maria and we say well we want to reach the nations of the earth well good then reach santa maria and it will start to spread from there the people in babylon were sent there by god now how many of you in this room uh were not born in santa maria wow See, look at that. Over half of you guys were not born in Santa Maria. Maybe you came here for work. I don't, I don't know what it is. You know, but you are called while you are here to be a missionary here. You're in Babylon. Welcome. <laughs> Acts 17, 26 and 27 says this, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. God determines where we live. Why? To meet Jesus, introduce him to others, to be a city in a city. And if our city changes, then other cities will hear, and I believe they will change as well. So we reach our city. Uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 5. He says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Second thing is you invest in the city. Most people come in and they want to use a city to take from what they have. Well, we don't just take, we want to give back. So you build houses, you settle in, you plant gardens. In a city, people will come and go. Some people God will call to stay for a while, some will call to leave. But while we are there, we are all called to be a great blessing where we are at. You know, other will, other, some people will live here their whole life. Others will leave. And once again, while you are here, you're a blessing. I will tell you, I am in this city unless God burns a bush and tells me to go somewhere else. I hope the bush is not my house if he decides to burn it, but I'm here until he says it. And so we love and we invest, and things could be easier if we didn't do it this way, but we are called to be a city within a city. Uh, verse 6, he says, take wives. Uh, I'll clarify, men should take wives, okay? And have sons and daughters, okay? Make babies. It is fun. Uh, your leadership recommends this to all of you. Uh, take wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. Number three, a good missionary, you must honor family. You must honor family. Gender, sexuality, marriage, parenting, and family. 
Guys, I'll, I'll tell you this, and I'm, and I'm not just capping on single guys because I love you that you're here, but if you're a single guy, you should aspire to marriage. You really should. God says in Genesis, it's not good for a man to be alone. Any single guy knows it's not good for us to be alone. Just look at our sink, right? Whatever's in your sink, it just piles up. It's like, I should just buy new dishes and throw these away because single guys don't know how to do dishes. If you're a single guy, you're odd, okay? You're, you're a little odd, and you don't think so because your friends are odd too. But that's good. As married people look at you and go, boy, you're a little odd. That's a little different. And, and the longer you stay single, the stranger you will become, so, okay? Or it's, yeah, just go with me here, okay? I haven't thrown up yet. We're doing good. All right. Young men, this is a problem. In our day, they want a girl, but they don't want to marry them because it's responsibility. And young men hate responsibility like cats hate water. But if you want to change a city, you have to get young men. The majority of Christians are women. Over 60% of Christians are women. And i got nothing against women. I'm married to one. I think she's great. She's much softer than I am, and I love holding on to her, and she's very, very good to me. But those who tend not to care and not to listen and not to give are the men. Statistically, single guys in their 20s are the least likely to attend a church of any age group. And they run from masculinity and family and maturity and responsibility. But these are the ones that we must go after. These are also the ones that cause the most problems in society. They fill up jails. They cause problems. They use women. Uh, their mommies look after them. Their girlfriends look after them. They sleep with their girlfriends with no intention of marrying them. And when their girlfriends become pregnant, they push for abortion, so they kill their own kids. And yet they are the key to any city. Young men, if you're a young guy, I'm going to harp on you just for a second here. You've got to take responsibility seriously. Okay, you need to find your pants and get a job and grow up and read your Bible and stay out of trouble and be a benefit to God and the world around you. Amen. Amen. All right. <laughs> says all the married people. Okay. <laughs> so God says, God says, get married. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Men take wives. Daughters are given. There's a whole different way you raise daughters. As a father, your goal for your daughter should not be her for her to grow up, make a whole lot of money, find some loser that she can pursue, and then marry him and take care of him. That should be the goal of your son, minus the loser part, okay? Your son should get a job, pursue a woman, love her, court her, marry her, and then sleep with her. You raise boys to be strong so they can take care of their families, and you protect your daughters. You protect them. If you have a daughter, you love her, you nurture her, and you become an example of the type of person that she should one day marry as a father. You should be that example to them. And the last thing you should do is let some knucklehead pull up in their car, honk the horn, and make your daughter go running out to them. I swear, if I had a daughter and some honk, I'd be like doing prison ministry from the inside. Because that is not how it goes down. And in the end, and this is, this is a tough one. Seriously, the city within a city. You and your daughter should both agree on the man that she should marry. You should agree. In the city, women are used, children are abused, girls sleep with boys. In a city within a city, it should be different to God's glory and our joy. We should be an example to the city in which we live. And we live this way not because we are better, but because God is good. And he's helped us to see the truth of who he is. And we want to be on mission for him. Issue of legacy. It's an issue of legacy. What will happen when we're gone? Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city. Seek 
the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Number four, you serve the common good. You serve the common good. You don't do what's just good for you but what is good for everybody. For those who live in the city, you know, we go and we help. We are not parasites. We don't just take. We also give. We think of ways to do good for the entire city. So if schools are terrible and you complain about the schools, Christians should go and volunteer. If kids can't read, then you go and you volunteer to tutor these kids. Uh, your eldership is meant, and we, and we talk about these things. We talk about what are the ways we could serve the well-being of our city. Where should we be? What should we be doing? How can we make a difference? God says things like, you pray for the city. So we pray for the city. And God will change the hearts of the people in the city. And he will change our hearts as well as we pray for the city. We don't just say, oh, you know, God, please change the city. God's like, that's why you're there. Don't lose the fact that's, that's why you live there, to make a difference. We can't just say, oh, God, change everything and never do anything ourselves. We have to be out and making a difference. We should want the city in which we live to be a great city. Verse 8. For thus, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Number five, and the last one that we have to be very, very careful of as a city within a city, is that you learn to ignore false teaching. Learn to ignore false teaching. All false teaching centers around essentially a misinterpretation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, I'm going to give it to you right now. Here's the gospel. We are all, by nature and choice, sinners. What that means is that we do not do what we're supposed to do. These are called sins of omission. And we do do the things that we are not supposed to do, and those are called sins of commission. And so we sin, and our sins include our words and our deeds and our motives. Everything counts. And God is is righteous, and he is holy, and he is good. And sin cannot stand in God's presence. And so this leads to a great broken relationship between us and who God is. And we can't reconcile ourselves to God, so God comes and reconciles us to him in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes as a man, as a missionary to us, to the earth. He goes to the cross. He substitutes himself in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. It is my sin for his righteousness, my death for his life. It is my separation for his intimacy. It is my condemnation for his salvation. It is all Jesus. Jesus comes, he dies, he is buried. Three days later, he rises from the dead, he ascends into heaven. And what is Jesus doing right now? Building a city. Building a city. The storyline of the Bible shows forward momentum from the Garden of Eden to the city of God, an enormous, glorious city. Revelation tells you that the city will have people from every nation, tribe, and culture. They will all love and serve and know Jesus. There will be no tyranny, no starving kids, no broken homes, no pride, no arrogance, all because of Jesus. And this shows that our hope is in Jesus. Our righteousness is in Jesus. Our salvation is in Jesus. Our example is Jesus. Our eternity is in Jesus. Our joy is all in Jesus. That's the point. And there are two primary 
enemies that leak into a city, the kingdom of God and the city within a city, and try to distort the good news of that gospel. Number one is idolatry. Idolatry comes from the Babylonians where they live. And the second one is religion, and that comes from the Israelites themselves. Jeremiah says you watch out for false teaching in the city, so you must guard against both of these things. Idolatry, Martin Luther says idolatry is the sin. It is the sin because we are made in the image and likeness of God to worship our God, to pour ourselves out to God. And when we fell and when we sin, we worship something other than God. It could be ourselves or something else. The opposite of Christianity is not atheism. It is idolatry. And we think idolatry is bowing down to statues or whatever, but it is much deeper. Actually, in 1 John 5.21, the very last line says, Little children, keep yourself from idols. Last line in the book, and it's like, what does that have to do with anything? What about loving families and loving church and people and God and city? All comes down to the same thing. Martin Luther says, the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments are simple. And they totally expound on everything else. You worship God and Him alone. Worship God and Him alone. Because if you worship Jesus, you worship God, you will not give in to these idols. It's like this. Uh, if you worship Jesus, you won't lie. Because we lie to make ourselves look better and stay out of trouble. Lying protects us. So we're worshiping us. If you love and worship Jesus, you won't covet. Because when you covet, what you're looking for is your, your identity is in something else. Either your house or your car or your job or your education, money, power, glory, whatever. It's all in these other things. If you worship Jesus, that doesn't happen. If you worship Jesus, you won't commit adultery. If you worship God alone, because Jesus is God. It's not fame, it's not sex, it's not IQ, it's not homeownership, it is just Jesus. Romans 11.36, 12.1 says, To him be the glory forever. To him be the glory. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Worshiping idols, something other than God. Definition of worship, someone or something is in the position of preeminence within your life, and you give that your, this power and significance. And so your desire, your first love is this thing. And so we all worship something. And we make sacrifices to this thing we worship. Whether it's money or energy or time or heart or attention. It goes to something that we would claim as our God. If that's Jesus, we enjoy life and what God gives. And if it's not Jesus, all of a sudden our family and our friends and our job and everything has less meaning than what it's supposed to. If someone or something else is in the place of Jesus, we're still worshiping. We're just committing idolatry. Romans 1 says people worship and serve created things rather than the creator. Idolatry comes down to I worship things other than God. This could be something God made or something that we make. George Orwell says, you need a lot of quotes this morning. George Orwell said that we, that which we love will enslave us. And this is true because idolatry works this way. God made something good and we looked at this thing that God made up as a God thing, as the ultimate thing. And we begin to worship that thing. And we cannot do that. I'll give you some painful examples this morning. Ready? No? Okay. Good. All right. Uh, spouse, health, comfort, children, grandchildren, all these things. Okay. These, these are all good gifts, but they are not God. This is why people get disappointed when their spouse doesn't meet all their needs because they have placed their spouse in the position of Jesus expecting their spouse to give them everything they need and people just cannot do that. It's why when people have children, all of a sudden their children let them down and they, and they get very disappointed because children don't give success or satisfaction. 
Amen? Okay? That's why when people get sick, they curse God. And they say, why am I sick? Because they're worshiping and made an idol out of health rather than God himself. It works like this. We have an image of heaven and a picture of hell. Okay, not hell, fire, and brimstone, but this is like a picture of the life type of hell. And we all want to be saved from our hell and go to our proverbial heaven. This is called our functional savior. Okay, so if you're single and that's your hell and marriage is your heaven, what's your functional savior? A fiance. Okay? Just, it works like that. Uh, if uh, your hell is no children and your heaven is children, what's your functional savior? children and that kind of becomes your god um you know if, if you're sick and 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 that's your proverbial hell and, and and your heaven is is being healthy what's your functional savior healing and it ceases to become the jesus that we should worship and so what we then do is we will actually take jesus and try to get jesus to give us a real god and we say, Jesus, I will worship you if you give me a spouse, if you get me kids, if you make me healthy, if you help me pass this test, if you don't let that cop with his lights on pull me over and go after somebody else. And we pray these things to actually get our real God. And we're saying, Jesus, give me my real God. Just to let you know, Jesus doesn't like to do that, okay? It's like the husband, you know, is out, and he, husbands don't like to go get uh, boyfriends for their wives, Okay? Doesn't work that way. And if you're one of those guys, you should stop. Come see me. We'll talk about it. Okay. Actually, do this. Next time you're in a grocery store, look over at the magazine rack. You look at a magazine rack, and what you will see is a bunch of magazines that try to appeal to people's image of heaven. You will see the home and garden heaven, the fitness heaven, the, the UFO baby heaven. Uh, <laughs> you'll see the car heaven, or the house heaven, or I lost 80 pounds heaven, or the cat heaven, or the dog heaven or the holiday heaven and people buy the magazines because it's preaching the gospel and you look at all the pictures of heaven and they will tell you what things you need to buy to get your heaven jesus is the only thing that brings heaven but that's how our culture works it's how many of us operate joy i will tell you is only found in jesus when we worship and serve created things rather than the creator that is idolatry and we will never be fulfilled. So to help you be the best missionary I can, I have a bunch of these on the stage, and I would encourage you to come and grab these when we're done. And these are the questions I need you to ask yourself today and throughout this week. Let me give you, help you identify your and my false gods. To do that, I'm going to ask you some questions. Are you ready? Just be like, oh, pull the knife out now. Here we go. What are you most afraid of? What are you most afraid of? Sick? being alone, uh, your spouse to die, maybe the kids die, job, friends, that could be your idol. What do you long for most in your life? What do you strive for? What do you try for? Where do you run for comfort? When things don't go the way you want and when things go bad, where do you go? Alcohol, pornography, another person, do you get angry, do you sleep, do you pull your covers over your head and hope it all just goes away? What do you do? What do you complain about the most? That will indicate what you're frustrated with. This is not working the way it's supposed to. My idol isn't working and I'm angry. Okay? What angers you the most? You know, is it when the truth isn't taught or when someone disagrees with you? Someone doesn't follow what you would like them to do. Indication of your idol. What makes you happy? 
What are the best memories of your life? You're like, oh, that thing. If I could just get back to that. How do you introduce yourself to other people? Hi, I'm a lawyer, trash man, Christian. How do you see you? Father, parent, married, single and willing. I don't, you know, these could all be good things. But ultimately, they are not Christ. What has caused you to be angry with God? What has caused you to go, God, how dare you make me lose my job, make my spouse mad at me, have my kids wander away from you? God, how dare you? Indication of how you feel when your idol is stripped away. What do you want uh, to have more than anything else in life? It's like a genie, genie in a bottle here. Don't get all pious like, oh, I want world peace, or I want to memorize the book of Leviticus. No, you don't. You're just lying. Okay? And it'd be like, I want a million dollars. Okay? We'll get there. That's, that's honesty right there. Okay? You know, just figure it out. What do you want more than anything else? Uh, what do you make the bigger sacrifices for in your life? What do you give your money to? What do you give you time to, your energy to? And lastly, whose approval do you seek? Whose approval do you seek? Those are all indications of your idols. Jeremiah says, you watch out for false teachers because they teach idolatry. And I'm almost done. Promise. Okay? I know. Long morning. And it also says, when you watch out, watch out for false religion. The worst people, most of the time, are religious people. In Scripture, the religious people murdered Jesus. They accused him of being a drunkard, accused him of being a glutton. Religious people the, are the ones that, that stand in the temple like a Pharisee and they pray out loud, God, I thank you, I'm not like, other, I'm not like these other men. While well, the other men are sitting there. Religion is disgusting to God. You see this throughout Scripture. In Isaiah, God calls religion filthy rags. That's menstrual rags. As gross as you can get, that's what God calls it. He also calls it poop. It's like poop. I'll tell you why. Because religion says, God, I don't need Jesus because I can be a devout moral person without him. And it says, well, if you obey God, maybe he will love you. And yet Jesus says, because I love you, you can obey me. Religion starts with you. Christianity starts with Jesus. Religion says there are good people and bad people. And Jesus says... You're all just bad people, and then there's me. Okay? That's how it works. Religion is about what I do. I'm going to go to these meetings. I'm going to speak in tongues. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be all really holy. Okay? And yet Christianity is about Jesus and what Jesus has done. And Jesus says it is finished. Religion's goal is to get from God. Christianity's goal is Jesus. And so we live our lives, and we cut our lawns, and we do all the stuff we're supposed to do, and we just love Jesus. Religion sees suffering and hurting people as being punished by God. Oh, you're sick. You lost your job. What would you do wrong? Religion gives these people nothing. And Jesus says, I have been there. I've been betrayed. I've been beaten. I've been lonely. I've been killed. And he never sinned at all. Religious people talk about themselves. Christians should talk about Jesus. Religious people are never sure if they have done enough to please God. And yet Christians are sure because their righteousness is in Christ. That's the point. The city that we live in does not need more idolatry. It has enough. It does not need more false religion. It has enough. It needs people who will cast aside their pride and simply love Jesus. Religious people will ruin a church if they stay in it and they do not change. Because Jesus gives humble, happy confidence. 
humble because I didn't do this. He is the one that saved me. Happy. It is an amazing thing that God loves me in spite of me. And confidence because it is a gift and I can never make him stop loving me. We, you and I, are more evil than we have ever feared. And yet we are more loved than we have ever dreamed. And that is what element is supposed to be about. A city within a city that invests and loves and gives and redeems where we live. That is the point of who we are. And it's only taken me 45 minutes to tell you this. And I, I mean, I want to say, are you with me? You know, but honestly, it's not with me. Are you with Jesus? We say, yeah, I'm with Jesus. Then we go and we live that. Because that's what we're called to live and be. And that's who we're going to start. Next week, we'll start the Gospel of John. I promise. I won't lie to you anymore. Okay. But this is who, as we as at Element, want to be. We want to be these people. So this is what your church will be pushing for all the time, to follow Jesus' ideal for who we're supposed to be. Uh, the band's going to come up. We're going to take communion. And uh, as you take communion, ask yourself these questions. Actually, I'm going to set these up right here. As you take communion, grab one of these cards. And maybe ask yourself these questions. Then maybe you won't want to take communion because you'll be like, I feel too guilty. <laughs> in communion, we, we take a, a, the cracker and we break it like Christ's body was broken for us. We dip it in the grape juice or the wine to remember his body which was broken and his blood that was shed for you and I. So we're going to worship God that. We're going to worship God uh, through giving his offering boxes on the side of the wall in the back of the room. We're going to worship God through prayer. There'll be some elders in the back of the room to pray with you. Worship God uh, through song. Because Bam's going to get ready. <laughs> I'm going to stand to your side. So. And take, take a few moments just to sit back and contemplate the questions that God has asked you this morning. And then we're going to worship God through fellowship. We're going to hang out and talk and do all the things that people like to do. But I'm going to ask you, think about those questions. Because our city doesn't need idolatry. Our city needs people who love Jesus and live for him and a church that's focused on that purpose. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask as your people that we would worship you, that we would give ourselves to you, that we would stop giving so much to ourselves, that we would listen and honor and love and cherish all that you have called within us. ask that you would take our hearts and humble us and make us new because you are our wonderful God. So help us take our eyes off of us and place them onto you and to be a city within a city. Amen.